Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, this is Kim Hopkins. I'm standing in for Dr. Ross Green, who's traveling today. It's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. We do this podcast the first Tuesday of the month, September through May at 11 Eastern, although this month, because of our summit and other traveling going on, we were not able to talk to you last Tuesday, so we're, we're on air today instead. In this podcast, we do our best to help you with your behaviorally challenging child, help you figure out what's going on, and help you figure out some things that are going to work. Our call-in number is 347-994-2981, and make sure to press 1. I think you still need to do that. I'm supposed to be joined by a couple of our B-team parents, but I have not seen them jump on yet. Um, So hopefully Stella and Jennifer will be able to join us um, when they can. Uh, We're still riding high from our eighth annual summit that was on November 2nd. Uh, We actually did sort of a live version of this podcast um, via video, uh, live video on our parents group, the B team on Facebook, and we did a Q&A type session for parents that went really well. We actually have a couple of questions that were submitted that we were not able to get to that we will um, hopefully get to today um, unless we have any callers. Callers always take precedent on this show. Um, We also were able to show the full-length version of our new documentary um, and to my understanding, I wasn't able to for the whole thing, but that it received incredible um, accolades and that um, many folks enjoyed the, uh, seeing the kids we lose and understanding the message that it um, stands for and that it's really trying to speak and give voice to behaviorally challenged kids, their parents, their educators, and other caregivers. So. Hopefully, if you get a chance to see that, and we're, be, we're starting to be able to do more and more screenings across uh, the country and other countries, and um, hopefully one will come to your area and you'll be able to view it. If you want to see what, it's, what is involved in bringing a screening to your area, uh, be in touch with us. Um, use our contact page on the Lives in the Balance website to um, submit your inquiries. Okay, we don't have any callers just yet, but we can go right into some of the questions that have been submitted. Um, We'll start with the ones that were submitted for the summit that we didn't get to. Um, Let's see, one question I have is how to respond to inappropriate behaviors, swearing, losing cool when told no, but believing he screamed at, so he justifies his behavior, throwing things, et cetera, in terms of immediate response. I'm more familiar with CPS than my husband, and we're both still learning. 
but this is an area of conflict for us. Hubby thinks there should be a consequence, like non-attendance at basketball games, whereas I think that punishing behavior is not how we create behavior change, if it is, in fact, lagging skills. How do we find the balance between focusing on CPS interventions and feeling like we're not being soft or letting him get away with disrespectful and rude behaviors? Is consequence ever okay? And if so, what does it look like when aligned with the CPS framework? When is it choice? When is it not? So there's a lot of different questions in here. Um, let's start right at the top with the first one that I saw. Um, in terms of an immediate response, so to me that sounds like um, this mother is asking what do we do in the moment when the swearing, the losing cool, the throwing things is happening. Um, that's a question we've tackled quite often on this program because it tends, of course, to be forefront on families' minds. Um, you know, the best thing we could think to do in the heat of the moment is, of course, not find yourself there, which means getting a good output done and getting proactive and doing lots of proactive plan C on the unsolved problems you're not working on um, while you prioritized a couple big fish to be doing proactive plan B. And the combination of the two helps you to avoid that heat of the moment happening. But if you do find yourself there, you know, you still have three options for handling unmet expectations. Uh, we call them plans, plan A, plan B, and plan C. Um, plan A, of course, you know, saying something like, you need to stop throwing things, knock it off. If you don't stop, you're not going to your basketball game. That all runs the risk of making things worse and pushing the kid, you say, further downstream um, and their behavior escalates. Uh, and also robbing you of more time that you didn't plan on spending um, dealing with behavior. Um, plan C, you know, that would, if you're able to, would look like giving the kid space, you know, not saying anything about it. Um, for some kids that work, for, uh, for others it doesn't. Um, you also have emergency plan B. And I think a lot of folks get a little nervous about emergency plan B because they know plan B involves three steps. And in the heat of the moment, um, the kid's not often the only one who doesn't have, you know, total access to rational thought. I'm always saying when I'm training folks that when I get upset or frustrated or angry, uh, IQ points kind of fall out of my ears. You know, I'm not at my best. I'm not thinking my clearest so that I can actually be helpful. So um, I wouldn't go into emergency B thinking I've got to get all three steps done. I would go into emergency B thinking I'm going to just try step one and see if that actually gets the job done. Because remember, with emergency B, we're not after the skill teaching component um, that's present with proactive B. That's the key to um, resolving unsolved problems in the future and, and making things better. You know, we're not, we're not after that because in the heat of the moment, that's just too much to expect, you know. So what we're after is just bringing the kid back to baseline, restoring safety, um, keeping your relationship with them intact, you know, saying things like, buddy, I, you know, you're clearly showing me you're upset right now. I'm not quite sure what's going on, but I do want to understand. If you can clear, cl clue me in, I'm all ears kind of thing. 
you know, so I'm not saying anything about the behavior. I'm not telling him what not to do. Pretty sure that he knows he shouldn't be throwing things and swearing. Um, and, you know, and this this child, you know, mom says he thinks he's being screamed at. So I think I'd be careful about my tone of voice and all that stuff um, if I was going to do emergency B because I know I'm running the risk of the kid misinterpreting um, tone and all of that which is, again, something we'd work on proactively, but it's not, we're not going to get that far in the heat of the moment. So, um, so never easy when you're looking for that immediate response and um, just needing to return things to baseline. But keeping the relationship intact is what I go in thinking I need to do. <laughs> um, that's my number one goal. Bring this kid back to baseline, keep the relationship intact. Before we go on with questions, I'm just going to check for callers. I'm not seeing any just yet. Um, okay, so other questions that were in this, this email um, about consequences. So husband thinks we should take the basketball game away. Sounds like is not so sure. How do we find the balance um, between feeling like we're soft? So. The thing about consequences, and that's also one we've addressed uh, in this podcast often, we've also got a great two-minute video on our website about our position on consequences that I um, encourage you to check out. If you go to livesinthebalance.org and then you check out CPS resources is the link from the homepage, I think. I'm going to double-check that as I'm talking. Actually, I'm mistaken. You actually go to the outreach link and then it's the fourth one down, it says two-minute videos, and there you'll find um, six of them. And the last one is what's the deal on consequences. So that's another uh, place to look for information. But um, for the purposes of today's discussion, you know, what do you want the consequence to teach? So we find that consequences typically teach the kids what you did we didn't like. If you think the kid already knows that, then it's kind of a waste, right? A lot of parents are worried, well, if we don't do the consequence and make them feel that this was not okay, they're going to start thinking it's okay. We actually don't find that to be true at all. Um, I don't know if I've even talked about this on this podcast before, but um, not long ago I had done, uh, I was doing some video coaching of a school um, and I do that uh, from my home office a lot. And so I'm on video with a group of people trying to learn the model. Um, and I've done it for years, years and years, and I've never been interrupted until last spring um, when uh, my daughter was home. She was seven at the time, almost eight, and she was going to be on her own for 20 minutes between the time I got on the video call and the time my husband was due home. And I had said to her, uh, she'd asked me if she could go outside, and I had said, I don't really love that idea because I can't really keep an eye on you. I really have to focus on the group I'm speaking with. What do you think about watching TV? Which um, she doesn't get to do a lot, so she, she does get excited about that. Um, and so she thought that was fine, that she could watch TV for 20 minutes, and then as soon as Daddy gets home, he could go outside. Great. Um, what ended up happening and what I could see happening out my office window is that a couple of neighborhood boys showed up and rang the doorbell. And I didn't prepare her for that. I actually wasn't even thinking about that happening. And uh, she let them in. And then the next thing I know, I heard them 
running around, running around, running around, um, all while I'm trying to really pay attention to the group that, that I'm talking with. And um, next thing I know, I hear a crash. And <laughs> then there's a knock at my office door. And I say to the group, wow, I can't say I've ever been interrupted before. I'm sorry, but you're going to get to see whether I use emergency A, B, or C <laughs> in this situation. Um, because it's heat of the moment, right? And so I open the door. My daughter is ghost white, and um, she can't even get words out. And her little friend says, yeah, we broke your TV. <laughs> um, you know, make no mistake, I was not thrilled about that. And it took quite a bit of energy to not do plan A. Um, but if I went plan A, I was going to probably make it worse. My daughter was going to go from being silent and ghost white to screaming and crying and upset, right? Um, it was going to rob me of more time that I didn't have at that moment. And if I had gone plan A, I probably would have uh, lost some of her trust um, because that's what happens when we do plan A. And so I didn't have time for emergency B um, because I really wanted to get back to the folks and I wasn't quite for sure they'd be interested in watching me do emergency B. So um, even though it doesn't have to take terribly long, I opted for emergency C. And I said, you're not in trouble. I'm not mad at you. I do need to finish my work right now. Um, so we'll talk about this later, okay? Um, do you think the boys could get going for now? And she said, sure. Um, at no time, and, and, you know, we could ask her today and say, do you think it's okay to break your parents' expensive things? She would tell you, no, it's not. She never got a consequence for that. It turned out the TV itself was not broken, just the stand was. Um, but even if the TV itself was broken, you know, I didn't have to say to her, you know, you need to go to your room or you're grounded for a week or you cannot play with these kids for two weeks. I didn't have to go there for her to know that what happened was not okay. She was ghost white and couldn't speak because she knew it was not okay. And she's actually never done something that big before. Um, and so, but, you know, she didn't need the consequence to know that that's never okay, right? What she needed was for me to be calm and rational and get back to it later when we could be proactive and say to her, you know, this call is going to happen a few more times this spring, you know. So let's figure out you had some difficulty um, watching TV when mommy was on her work call, you know, and that's the unsolved problem we went with. Um, I figured out what was hard when they rang the bell, you know, we, we – we did the drilling. I understand her perspective. I told her mine, and we came up with a new plan that worked the rest of that spring, which was great. That's a much higher level of accountability. You know, she, she knows throughout that whole process that what happened was not okay, and I didn't need to make her feel it, you know. Remember, as difficult as it is for us um, when behaviors happen, the kids are suffering more. You know, life is really not going that great for a kid who throws things and tantrums and screams and thinks you're yelling when you're not. Life is not going that great for him. He doesn't need to miss his basketball game for him to know that this is not the way to go. If he'd do well, he could do well. He needs you to work to understand what's getting in his way of doing well. You know, taking the basketball game won't do that and will actually uh, take a hit to the relationship. Um, so I keep that in mind. The being soft and getting away with things 
you got to have a good ALSIP done, you know, knowing what your unsolved problems are, knowing what you're working on and what you're not. You can say to him, oh, that's one of those unsolved problems we're not working on yet, you know, when you're doing something with Plan C so that I, I know I had to do that when I was first learning the model. This was with kids in residential care, but I, to, to curb that feeling I had if I was letting them get away with something, I would just tell them, oh, yeah, that's something I need, we need to work on together, but we're not working on that yet. We have bigger fish to fry. Um, those, that's what made me feel better today. I don't really feel like I need to do that because I've seen that kids um, don't feel like they're getting away with something with this model. Um, so, and then the last question was, when is it choice and when is it not? Um, interesting thing about choice. A uh, long time ago, I heard Dr. Green say, gosh, this must have been 15 plus years ago, um, and I still find it to be true, that we actually don't think it's a matter of choice because we don't think kids have what they need to consistently make the good choice. And so that can be confusing when a kid can meet an expectation some of the time but not all of the time. And so um, it's tempting to read that as, you know, well, he's just choosing not to, right? We would say that that's a time to get curious and figure out you know, how come the expectation can be met under some conditions but not others? And there's a drilling strategy we use that's called exactly that to help you shape your questions um, to, to, you know, to be curious and neutral and non-judgmental and ask, you know, I noticed that on Monday it didn't seem tough for you to take the trash out um, when I asked you, um, whereas last week it was really hard to do that. Um, I often do couple that one with some reassurance that I'm not doing plan A, you know, I'm not mad at you, you're not in trouble, something like that, um, to really say, like, I'm just trying to figure this out, you know, because I think kids are used to adults saying, well, if you can do it sometimes but not others, then you must not care or you must be choosing or, you know, so really signal to kids like, no, I get that something's different. And, and for me to truly help you, I need to understand what that is, you know, one of our six key themes of the model is that understanding comes before helping. And we really got to work hard to understand what's happening in that kid's head during the, when the unsolved problem comes up so that we can be as helpful as possible. Um, so great questions. Hopefully uh, this B team member will uh, give us an update and maybe call into the show. It's funny, we, when we were interacting with parents at the summit and we did this sort of live podcast that was video live in the B team, we had a good amount of people say, you know, I often want to call in, but then I don't, or I start to dial, but I don't. So, you know, um, hopefully folks, you, you know, you'll feel comfortable calling in. We'd love to talk with you. We certainly also, if you don't have questions, we'd love to hear updates or how CPS has changed your lives and your family's lives. So uh, don't hesitate to fill us in and all of, and all of that great stuff. Uh, the number here again is 347-994-2981. And it's possible that you need to press one in order to get through. That used to be the case, but then I was hearing it might not be anymore. So I don't know, we'll see what happens. All right, another BT member had submitted a question that we weren't able to get to at the summit that I said we would hold for this program. Um, the question is, what to do when you have a nine-year-old on the spectrum and a younger child, almost six, who is aggressive, not a good sleeper, no diagnosis yet, and you're just so tired? 
Doctors don't give any suggestions, nothing. Marriage is struggling. Child is adopted and has intrauteral trauma. How do you get your child help? The older child has her own set of diagnoses. How do you keep your husband and yourself on the same page, keep calm, no yelling, etc.? Well, that's certainly a lot going on. And I'm going to keep checking to see if our B-team parents are able to join us because I know that they have some expert first-hand knowledge on these matters to speak to. So when, when it, if they're able to join, I'll be sure to connect them on. Um, yeah, I mean, no doubt about it that when we are struggling and our emotions are getting the best of us and we're tired and everywhere we turn is stressed, right, um, our emotional well is not full. And... But what, what's going to be the risk of that? Plan A is going to come out of our mouths, you know. Um, and I've been doing this model over 16 years. Um, I notice that at work, I'm really good at it. At home is where I have to be real intentional, and I sometimes struggle because at home is where I'm likely to experience that emotional well being quite empty. You know, when I was pregnant with my second son, my second child, um, and my daughter was, you know, five-ish at the time. Um, I, I had a really tough pregnancy. I was really sick all the time. I was tired constantly, never felt well, um, and like life didn't stop, right? And she got a lot of plan A during that time because I didn't have it in me, you know, and I regret it to this day because um, I could see the impact, you know. But the good thing that came out of that is that we would um, talk openly about it. You know, uh, and so today she has language that I believe she gained during that period of time where, you know, if someone is raising their voice to her and, you know, I've seen this happen at home if my husband's losing his cool or something and she will say, you know, that doesn't help me. You know, it makes it worse because that's the words that, that we've used when we've done a relationship repair before when plan A has come out of our mouths. And so... I guess that's what I take as the silver lining on that. Um, but yeah, so I so I guess going kind of going starting at the further end and working our way back. If Plan A does come out of your mouth, if, if calm is hard, if yelling's happening, all that, you can go back when things are calm and do a relationship repair and essentially say, I know I used Plan A. I know it doesn't help. I know it makes things worse. It's not where I want to be. Um, and in your words, that. That, that fit the um, child's understanding and age and all of that. Um, but absolutely, you know, when I had my daughter, um, I was incredibly anxious uh, in that first year, just incredibly anxious. And I had someone, a medical professional, say to me, you know, you really need to take care of Jocelyn's mother. And that reframe hit me, you know, saying, wow, I really do have to do things for myself and I really do have to do things with my husband. You know, I really do have to make those deposits and it's not being selfish to do that. It's going to help me in my parenting in the end. Certainly easier said than done. Um, <laughs> and yet finding small ways to do that, that, you know, fit within your budget and your time constraints and all of that, um, really important. Self-care is a huge conversation on this program and um, in our B-team group for a reason. Um, I actually read an article, and I should have kept it. I 
don't know the reference, but I read an article that said that empathic parenting, if we're not careful, um, can really take more out of parents than the old-fashioned way and can leave us depleted, right? And that makes sense uh, because it does take a lot to keep your calm, um, think clearly, actively choose to use plan B versus plan A. Um, when you're new at it, remembering the three steps, the order of the three steps, you know, how do you drill, how do you ask questions, it does, it takes a lot. Um, and so we need to make sure that we are regularly giving deposits uh, to ourselves and within our marriages to, um, you know, keep that bank full because <laughs> we know the withdrawals are coming every day, all day long, the withdrawals are coming. So, um, you know, I think that that's probably what I would hear from our, our B-team parents saying, you know, self-care. I can hear Jennifer saying it right now. She's, she's a big proponent of self-care. Um, it's incredible, you know. It's real unfortunate that the doctors aren't necessarily giving you what you need, um, maybe, and, and the B team can be great for this. There's over 19,000 members right now. Depending on where you're located, you know, you could ask others um, if they're in your area, you know, where certain doctors and specialists that you need, has anybody found anyone that's been helpful and empathic with you <laughs> and um, a support, you know, making sure that the supports around you are numerous and solid. It certainly does take a village. And, um, yeah, you know, we got to make sure that you're feeling taken care of too uh, for you to be able to then turn around and work with your nine-year-old and your six-year-old. Um, well, I do hope that you decide to either chime in on the B team or give us a call on the podcast or shoot us an email and let us know how things are going. Um, I regret that we weren't able to get to your question when we had uh, the live video panel, but thank you for submitting it. Okay. Um, we don't have any callers at this time. I'm wondering if the schedule change kind of threw everybody off. So let's forge ahead with uh, an email that we received. Um, let's see. My question is regarding my 14-year-old son. I've had a very hard time following the process when I find that my son has fearful thinking. Along with the many amazing things about him, he tends to be suspicious, critical, defensive, tense, and calculating. He gets like that any time he feels threatened, which is often, especially amongst his peers. I realize that this comes from feeling unsafe, and I'm sure I've contributed to that um, from constantly guiding or commenting on his behavior, getting into arguments with him. Uh, he is already resistant to having any heart-to-heart -heart talk, basically shuts down when I try to schedule one or start one. I've tried and failed due to not having listened and empathized well, but I don't agree with much of how he thinks. He feels judged and not understood. He also lacks respect for me while he admires whatever his father says. So with this dynamic, I basically kept my mouth shut even when he does things disagreeable to me, in parentheses, plan C, exclamation point, 
He's a great student and athlete, so I'm not concerned about his performance. I'm concerned about his negative thinking and the lack of joy he experiences and the difficulty he has in connecting with people. I also realize I can see him with different lenses, so he feels more safe and accepted, but it's quite disagreeable to me that he is so negative. So, um, great questions in here. Let's pick a starting point. Um, one thing I would say is that the way that you worded your concerns here, I'm concerned about the lack of joy and the difficulty he has in connecting with people. So essentially you want him to be socially successful. Um, I think that that's a great way to word that when you're ready for step two. And I know you've even had tr trouble getting to step one, and we'll get there in a minute. Um, as far, though, as I want to increase your threshold for being able to handle um, his negative thinking that seems to come through here as being really bothersome to you, um, that's driven by your worries, right, and your concerns. And so um, I would just make sure that you hold that awareness with you that when you're feeling negative and judgmental about the way that he is thinking, um, be in touch with the fact that that just comes from you being concerned and worried for him and his social success, right? And so whatever you end up doing to work with him and address what you're seeing and hearing, that goal would need to be in mind, you know, that I, I, I'm worried about the lack of joy. I want him to be successful connecting with people, right? And so um, clearly you sort of coming across hard on him or anything like that is actually going to do the opposite of both those things, right, um, which we know you don't want to do, um, certainly, We've all been there and felt frustrated and had done just that. But, you know, um, increasing your um, ability to kind of tolerate and sit with uh, when you're hearing him say things that are suspicious and critical and all of that. Um, also, then, reading everything he comes out with that's suspicious and critical and defensive and calculating and all that, that's all behavior. That's all his signal that he's in the water and making sure you've got a good read on when all the times are that that happens, right? And so, again, we talk often on this uh, program because it's a key theme of the Collaborative Proactive Solutions model. Um, we need to be looking as far upstream as possible here. So when he's suspicious and critical and defensive and tense and calculating and he's saying things like that, he's in the water, meaning he's in his behavior, right? Um, we don't want to attend to that behavior, that the focus is not on behavior in our model. The focus is on the problems that precipitated it, what pushed them in the water in the first place. So walking upstream and looking at all the things that push him in the water and using our ALSIP, our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, is meant to help you think about specific unclumped examples of the times when you see him land in the water, you know, starting with the skills that are listed on the left-hand side of the ALSIP, going one by one, thinking through, starting with the top one, does he have difficulty handling transitions or shifting mindset? If you think he does, what are some examples when you've seen that happen? You want your examples to be kid-friendly language because these are the words you're going to use to talk with him. 
Um, you want them to be behavior-free for the same reason. Uh, and if you talk behavior, he is going to shut down, which you mentioned is, is happening often. Um, and you want them to be specific and what we call unclumped split um, because you want to give them a shot of knowing what you're talking about and you don't want to assume that multiple things are related. Uh, and so sometimes what's hard is that if the kid go, you know, falls in the water and goes downstream and always looks the same doing it, you know, he's always saying suspicious critical things, for example. He's doing it for different reasons, though, and it's those reasons, those unsolved problems that push him in the water. That's what we need to be focusing on and talking to him about. And so I just want to make sure that that's real clear. It seems that right now you're trying to even schedule a talk, which we often talk about on here as a great strategy, is scheduling a proactive plan B, and it sounds like that's not working. Um, and so what are the ways then that you could focus on increasing his comfort level. That's really the goal then. You know, um, you may need to pause the unsolved problem for the moment and focus on what's, what's tough about talking. You may need to do that not in a face-to-face -face conversation, but in um, writing back and forth, for example, or drawing pictures back and forth, whatever he might like doing. Um, I'm also wondering where you said that he admires what his father says. I don't know um, what father's role is and everything, but if, if he's got some open communication going with his dad, could dad be useful in helping us figure out what's hard about him talking with you? Um, I'm not sure yet if you've tried to acknowledge some of what you've mentioned in here about, you know, it's like, I'm going to rephrase what you said and, um, just sort of say, you know, that when you've done plan A in the past and what that's looked like, I don't know if you've tried acknowledging that and saying to him, I know that didn't make it worse and I uh, realize you need something different for me and I'm learning something different. Um, that type of honesty can often disarm and increase comfort level. Um, getting specific about that type of honesty too, you know, like I know that when I took away your video game for such and such, that actually had the opposite effect I wanted to have, you know, or that actually made you mistrust me or whatever, you know, getting very specific and very real. Um, one of the things I love about this model is real transparent. And so the things that you've said in here that you're worried about as far as, you know, how you've talked with him about this in the past that might be getting in the way, try owning that and see if that increases comfort level. Um, you know, maybe setting up something where, you know, if he does come to the table with you, um, that if at any point he feels judged uh, or anything like that, and again, these are the words that, that you included here, or not understood that he could, you know, raise his hand or signal you in some case, in some way, or you have an object that he then shows you, you know, like there's a way to like, you know, flag on the play, I'm not feeling understood here, you know. Um, the great thing about the first step of CPS is it's all about understanding and not judging, you know. And even if we're hearing things we don't necessarily love, um, we're honoring the kid's perspective. And so um, once you can get there, I have a real great hope for you. So I think some relationship repair, some checking in with yourself about, you know, 
how strong you're feeling about you know, how he expresses that he's in the water and what your worries are around that, getting some self-care and some community care around that for you so that maybe you don't feel as charged about it. So I know when I can do that, then I can um, get farther (laughs) with kids um, because I'm removing that emotional charge for myself. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's where I'd start, you know, increasing comfort level. How can that happen? In, in what different ways? Um, talking about talking, using your husband, um, writing, uh, and just being real clear about, you know, that plan A happened in the past and you know what it looked like and you know that it didn't help and why not? Um, and really, you know, for you guys to have the most success going forward, it's going to require that you get your partners. And so... Um, moving things forward in that way. Definitely keep us informed and updated as to how things are going. Okay, I'm not seeing any callers. Again, I think our schedule changed. Might not have worked out. (laughs) Um, All right. We have another email here. um, And this parent simply writes, I do not understand the difference between lagging skills and unsolved problems. And so this is somebody who's fairly new to the model and um, is often a question we get when somebody is fairly new to the model. What is the difference between lagging skills and unsolved problems? So um, the research tells us that behaviorally challenging kids lack skills, and that's why they're challenging. That's the answer to the question, why? Why are challenging kids challenging? They're challenging because they lack the skills not to be. When are challenging kids challenging? The research tells us that challenging kids are challenging when the demands placed on them outstrip their skills. That's the when. And so in our model, if you're a helper, you know, so you're a parent or an educator or a caregiver of a behaviorally challenging kid, and you believe that behavior is the signal that something's wrong and that when kids can't do well, it's your job to partner with them and help them figure out what's getting in the way. Um, Lagging skills are the why behind that, and unsolved problems are the when. So your biggest role in the life of behaviorally challenging kid is to answer those two questions. Why is this kid challenging and when is this kid challenging? And that kid then is going to become a predictable kid, which is important because, as is in the name of the model, the best work gets done proactively, getting ahead of unsolved problems. So when you look at our assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, and hopefully folks know that There is a copy available on our website. If you go to our homepage, livesinthebalance.org, you go to CCS Resources, then there's a paperwork link. You'll find the ALSIP there. There's a PDF fillable version. There's also going to be uh, an ALSIP guideline, uh, one pager, just to kind of help you remember uh, how it's best used. You're also going to find as an aside, in our walking tour for parents, video and audio about how to best uh, use the ALSIP. So the ALSIP is meant to help you answer those two questions. The lagging skills are listed on the left-hand side, 
and, and the unsolved problems are written on the right-hand side. The lagging skills, again, uh, and this is not an exhaustive list on the LSAT, but it is the ones we most commonly see. That's what the research tells us. Those are the skills the research tells us that behaviorally challenging kids commonly lack. So we start by looking at the lagging skills. The first one is difficulty handling transitions or shifting mindset or task from uh, one task to the other. When we start there, um, you know, we, we think, well, does this kid lack that skill? The lagging skill then becomes what we call a springboard for coming up with examples of when we see that lagging skill play out. Coming up with examples, in other words, of unsolved problems. Times when the environment makes a demand of the kid that the kid lacks that skill so can't meet the demand. Right? So lagging skills are the springboard for coming up with unsolved problems. Lagging skills are like the skeletal framework of this kid. Unsolved problems is like putting meat on the bones, you know, and getting real specific about how those lagging skills play out for this kid, you know. Um, and so a lot of people will say, well, um, I'm working on this, this lagging skill with this kid. Here's the thing. Until we actually work with the kid and talk to the kid, we're actually not sure necessarily what lagging skill is behind an unsolved problem. The lagging skills are there to help us think about unsolved problems, come up with those examples, but we don't have to be precise, and it's kind of hard to be precise anyway. They're there to be a springboard. They're there to help you think about unsolved problems. Unsolved problems are the meat of this thing, um, well-worded unsolved problems. Unsolved problems that are behavior-free, theory-free, split and unclumped, and kid-friendly language because those are the words you're actually going to use. So the lagging skills are, meant, are there to help you get to the unsolved problems. And so um, many multiple lagging skills can contribute to the same unsolved problem. That happens often. And again, it's kind of hard to be precise about um, what lagging skills might be contributing to an unsolved problem. So don't worry about precision on lagging skills. They're just there to help you come up with a list of well-worded unsolved problems. And they're meant to help keep you rooted and kids do well if they can, which is what the research tells us about behaviorally challenging kids. Um, so they're there to help you come up with unsolved problems. You want to make sure your unsolved problems are well-worded. And the unsolved problems are what you're going to actually work with the kid on. You know, you're not going to say to a kid, I've noticed you've had difficulty handling transitions and shifting mindset from one task to another. What's up? Rather, you're going to use that to come up with specific split, behavior-free, theory-free, kid-friendly unsolved problems. And it would maybe sound like, I've noticed you've had difficulty um, turning off the video games at the end of two hours to come to dinner. What's up? I've noticed you've had difficulty... Uh, stopping playing board games to take care of the dishes. What's up? Uh, I've noticed you've had difficulty uh, leaving the house for your doctor's appointment on time. So those kinds of things. The information you then get from the kid is actually what's going to help you know what lagging skills you're working on. But that's not terribly important. Um, so what's important is working with well-worded unsolved problems, um, doing the three steps, 
and getting those problems solved. And in doing that, lots of skills training happens within those three steps. Lots of skills training happens. So typically the next question from folks new to the model is, well, how are we teaching all these skills? I did the ALSA. I checked off almost all of them. How am I going to teach my kid these skills? You're going to be very effective in teaching those skills um, when you start with very specific, well-worded, unsolved problems, and you do the three steps in order. Um, tons of skills training happens just within the three steps themselves. Then you layer in a specific unsolved problem, and then you're really cooking with gas. You've got a lot, um, a lot going on there. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's the start anyway of what's the difference between lagging skills and unsolved problems. Thank you very much for your email. Um, and hopefully you'll check back in with us and let us know how it's going on your new journey to uh, learning about collaborative and proactive solutions. Um, sorry that my co-host couldn't join today. I'm hoping everything's okay. Um, but we are at the end of our time. Um, we will be getting, we'll be back next month with another episode of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Be sure to join us then. We'll be able to go back to the first Tuesday uh, for next month. And um, yeah, we really hope to, that you'll join us then. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>